You're listening to Partnernomics Podcast, where we discuss the art and science of developing successful strategic partnerships. To learn more about the suite of Partnernomics solutions, visit Partnernomics.com. All right, so welcome back. Today we have Tim Ziakas with us today. And uh, Tim is a director of channel sales, channel partnerships, and that is Tim's area of expertise. We're definitely going to dig into that uh, over the next few minutes. But Tim is with the Center for Creative Leadership, uh, an awesome, large, very established organization that we're also going to be learning a lot about. But uh, Tim, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for uh, chatting with us today. I appreciate you having me. So Tim, if you wouldn't mind, let's just uh, start off with talking about Tim. Give us a little bit of a lens into your background, into your career, the, the different roles that you've had that have prepared you for this uh, current role in uh, Channel Partnerships. I appreciate it. It's a, it's a winding road, uh, but it, it eventually ended up here at, at the Center for Creative Leadership out in actually Colorado Springs. So my background is uh, econ major, which I'm sure you can appreciate. Uh, played some college. Got to be a smart guy, man. Got to be a smart guy if you studied yeah. econ. <laughs> yeah, or or just broad. I don't know, <laughs> but uh, played some college baseball. Graduated and like so many people with an econ degree, had no idea what the heck I was supposed to do with that. And went into wealth management and worked for a small privately held wealth management firm in New York City. Did that for a handful of years and just said, you know what? There's there's other things that I want to do with my life. One of which was being more entrepreneurial, having a little bit more control over my path. And so at 25, uh, left my job in wealth management and bought a baseball and softball academy and uh, rebranded it. And it was really the start of how I think about partnerships, which is relevant, obviously, to this conversation, which then catapulted into a career in consulting in sports facilities, working with uh, communication firms, helping leaders effectively communicate, tell their messages, and ultimately today, uh, working with the center on leadership development. So it's a, it's an interesting path for sure. Yeah. Awesome. So the center CCL, tell us about that organization, what you guys do a little bit of its history for those folks that might not be familiar. Yeah. So if you're familiar with Vicks vapor rub and I happen to be because I have a four year old and a two month old, uh, we buy, we buy lots of it. The, the Richardson family, are the ones that started that back in the late 1800s. And for over a century, they built a massive business. And a big part of that business was the success was tied directly back to the people, how they uh, developed the culture, how they developed the talent. And so in the late 70s, the Richardson family started what has now become the Center for Creative Leadership. They felt very strongly about everybody having access to the certain soft skills that we have come to realize are necessary to be successful in just in life and in, in our professions. And so that's the, the start of CCL. Fast forward 50 years later, to your point where a global research institute solely focused on leadership development. We only stay within our lane. And the way we think about it is we're developing the ingredients that organizations can then use and infuse within their, their companies and their teams to upskill their, their people in the specific leadership competencies that they need at that time. Um, doing that through workshops and assessments and consulting, variety of different ways that we do that. But in a nutshell, that's what the center is today. Okay. So as you mentioned, it's courses, it's assessment, it's 
curriculum, it's consulting, kind of being that trusted advisor, both uh, for corporations, for not-for-profits, for higher education institutions, all of those. Is that correct? All of the above. Leadership is, we don't discriminate. Everybody needs to have a certain set of core competencies, no matter what industry you're in, no matter what you do. So yes, it's, it's a broad reach for sure. And so, Tim, what is the, the role that you're in today, right? So channel partnerships uh, for CCL, what does that mean? And what does, what, what's the kind of the charter of, of your guys' team? The way we think about partnerships is more on the channel partnership side. And the best way to explain that is to use sort of an everyday analogy. If, if you're a tomato farmer, if I have my own tomato farm, I could spend all my time growing and cultivating those tomatoes. I, at the same time, I need to make sure that I have somebody to sell those tomatoes too. And so I could have an internal sales team. I could hire some people to make sure that they've, they're developing some relationships with grocery stores and restaurants and pizzerias. Or I could develop a relationship with several different partners that have those relationships built in already and then only have maybe one or two people handle those relationships with partners. And that's really how we think about scaling. Um, the research that we have, the science-backed research that we have, we want it to be in as many hands as humanly possible. We don't have a massive sales force. And so we rely on, just like most companies, honestly, a partnership model, and it's a true channel partnership model. So we can't be a, the jack of all trades. We can't be everything to everyone. Know who we are. You'd mentioned stay in your lane. You know, you guys totally focus on leadership, leadership development, uh, but also on the sales side, there's organizations, there's people, there's, there's ways that we can leverage folks that can, that can be better at that than, than we are. And so that's the approach that you've taken. It's, the, it's not only the approach that we take, but it's, it's the approach really that the global economy takes. You know, 70% of the world's GDP is done through partnerships. We don't think about that as customers, right? The, the end user, when we buy something, we don't really realize all the different layers of partnerships that happen, but you buy a Ford, you're not buying it from the manufacturer, you're buying it from a dealership. And that's the same model. You know, you're not really buying the product directly from the person that makes it, you're buying it through a series of relationships and partnerships. And whenever you're buying it from Ford or General Motors, you're not necessarily buying it from them, right? You're, you're, you're buying pieces that have come from a hundred different organizations. There it is. Exactly. You know? Right. Yeah. Exactly. It, there's a, man, we could do so much more if we just take on that approach. I think, you know, there's, um, there's, there's so many assets and knowledge capabilities that, other organizations can provide and the, the companies that win the globalized economy this 21st century economy the winners are the ones that realize that and they're really good at, uh, at at pulling in those resources and putting them into a solution set and offering those up so true so true so tim let's uh let's talk a little bit about something i know that you're passionate about and that is really activating or operationalizing partnerships you know it's it's one thing to to do kind of that front end work that preparation work that that we try to focus on a lot you know one piece of that is making sure that you're you're kind of getting married to the right person and what that process looks like but then once you sign the dotted line once you consummate that partnership that relationship as we say the baby's born now it's time to to raise the baby 
Let's talk about operationalizing channel partnerships. And with you, whenever, whenever you bring on a new partner, what are some of those first steps that you take to, to activate new partnerships? Yeah, the, the, the channel model is, is really three pronged is the way we think about it. There's the marketing, which is the core, it's the essential part of it, right? So sales in indirect and in channel is only effective if there's people to talk to. Same thing with direct sales, but much more heavily reliant in channel. Then once you go through the sales process, there's that, there's that activation period, right? You've done all that good stuff on the front end. How the heck does this work? And so in our role, the way that we think about it is we're consultants, we're advisors, we're, we're business development partners for our partners. We have the ability to help them think about the best ways to use our ingredients. So for the tomato farmer, you know, if we're selling into distributors who are then selling to pizzerias, one of the ways that we might be able to help out that end user and that partner is to think about new recipes to use with our tomatoes, different ways to use our ingredients so that their clients have the best user experience because our partners can't possibly know the best case scenarios, the best use cases, the frequently asked questions that we get as the person that's growing the ingredients. And so that's how we think about it. And so in our case, when we're partnering with higher education or an exec ed department or, or just any you know, talent or consulting agency, we have to help them think about how to activate this. How do we make it known that the Center for Creative Leadership has elements and tools that their clients can now use and benefit from? And we do that in a couple different ways. We help them with podcast content. We help them with webinars. We'll co-write blogs. We have sales tools that we give our partners access to that allows them to market and track and create different templates for pitches that they may not normally have access to in their five-person exec ed shop. And so there's different ways that we've identified that we can come in alongside of our partner and just be a real partner and add some true value. And that's the activation that, that a lot of partnerships don't really focus on. It's the reason why, one of the reasons why partnerships never get to that full potential. So Tim, is there a specific, I guess, recipe or process that you follow as a way to make sure that you get that new partner on the track and that you continue to go down the track? Yeah, there's, there has to be a, an onboarding and a continued education. And uh, without a doubt, we, we have to have a, a cadence and a line of communication. And that starts on the front end in that contracting or term sheet phase is, is creating that right direction, make sure, making sure we're not only rowing in the right direction, but at the same speed, we're both committed to the cause. And then it becomes really easy to activate these par partnerships. But without that fundamental understanding, it, it's difficult to activate these for sure. So Tim, whenever you guys form a new relationship with somebody, I mean, there's sounds like there's a lot of different things that you can provide as CCL. Um, I'm imagining as you go through this term sheet phase, this, this uh, upfront phase of understanding that value that you're going to be providing to each other, you, you understand, you kind of put together this package, you have this, uh, this common understanding of what success looks like. And then as you kick off the relationship, you start to activate that, then you provide your piece, but then you make sure that you stay in sync and you continue to have uh, ongoing relationships. Talk to us a little bit about the, the communications and the importance for communications and even goals uh, or different milestones that you set. For our partners, they're working with 
I think at the, at the root of it, we need to understand what our partners are doing and what their business model is, because we are their, their advisor and their business strategy a lot of times. And so our partners are working with all different types of organizations and leaders across all different levels and, and focused on different leadership competencies. So we're working with an exec ed department and they're working with five different clients. They might be working on upskilling the engineers on their communication skills in one company. They are working with the sales team going through COVID on their resilience levels and how to handle stress. They're working with the executive team of a startup company and making sure they're aligned on their business strategies. They have all different relationships with these clients. The only way for us to, to be a really great partner is to understand those different nuances so that we can go into our uh, tool shed and say, you know what, this is this is how we might want to think about this. And these are the resources that you can now use and think about. And we've seen this happen with other partners. You might want to consider doing it. That's a tremendous resource because we have access to a global network of people using our, our, our services. That's a, that's a fantastic value add for an exec ed shop in Illinois that maybe wouldn't necessarily have the same, same access to the tools that we have. Yeah. So Tim, do you guys set up specific milestones or metrics or talk to us a little bit about how data plays, plays a role in this? And, and what I'd specifically like to dig into is it seems that on, on sales related partnerships, um, I mean, there has to be somebody continuing to push forward and push forward uh, those, those types of sales relationships that don't have metrics, don't have goals. It's just kind of, let's just spray and pray. Let's hope that people come. It's, it's not about the content. You can't just build it and they will come. How do you make sure that you get results? I think, I think you hit it on the head. It's, it's just tracking and it's, it's forecasting. It's paying attention to numbers, trends, you know, getting an understanding of, again, the conversations that our partners are having with end users helps us tremendously start to forecast and predict and set goals. And so, as you know, partnerships are not transactional. They're, they're not like direct sales where you have a pretty good idea of what the buying process is like and the, the, the life cycle. Partnerships could take 12 months, to take 18 months to see an ROI. And so there's not a lot of tracking other than term sheets, contracts, a cadence of conversations until you start to see revenue coming in that's when you can start to use some data. Uh, but until that point, it's really difficult. And so you kind of have to trust the process, which is why books like Partnernomics and, and topics like Partnernomics make sense because you need to have that process because you're not gonna have the metrics from the, from the get-go, you just won't. I'd love to pick your brain a little bit about uh, negotiating, right? The topic of negotiating and going through that process. I know a lot of folks that uh, jump into our seats early in their careers, I mean, just the word negotiating can kind of make you uh, sit up straighter and ready to throw on some boxing gloves sometimes, doesn't it? Yeah, kind of loosen up the shoulders. I just got uncomfortable with you saying negotiate. <laughs> but it doesn't need to be like that, right? It doesn't have to be like that. We take a very different approach to the whole topic of negotiating, but I'd love to just get, uh, you know, what you've learned over the years on that topic and your approach, your philosophies. It's, it's not about you. It, it really just isn't. In, in, 
the only time that I, the only example that I can think about negotiating that I personally do is at a car dealership. Like that is a true negotiation. I'm not necessarily interested in the car dealership. I'm interested in me, but in business, in the way most of the world works, the negotiation process needs to end with both of us getting something of value. And you can, it's impossible to accomplish that if you're only focused on yourself. If you have no idea what it is that your partner or the person that you're negotiating with needs or wants or the problem that they're trying to solve, how could you possibly come to a common ground? So the only way to approach a negotiation is by putting your ego on the side for a second and just focusing in on them, which sounds simple, but it's not that people don't do it that often. It's not- <laughs> they can definitely get competitive where you want to win. Uh, and, and especially it seems like the more people that we get involved in negotiations, sometimes it can, it can turn that direction. Yeah. It's a disaster. Yeah. One-on-one is the best. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I love what you said there, the way that, that you teed it up and what we like to, to share, what we believe is you should view negotiating from is it's, it's me and you working together from the same side of the table and, and it's kind of us against uh, an opportunity up against something in the market where we are working together. It's not me versus you. And man, so many times I see, you know, this old negotiation or thoughts of negotiation, bargaining, whatever term you want to use, it's A versus B. And man, that's such a short-sighted approach that can frequently turn into a lose-lose or at least a win-lose. And if one loses, you both lose in partnerships. That's it. And I'm sure you have plenty of examples of a company that neither one of the companies has the ability to do something on their own. They need to pull in resources from elsewhere. And so that's the simplest way to explain it is that there's, we want to accomplish X, but neither one of us can do it alone. So if we really do want to accomplish that, let's come together. It's not, it's really not that complicated. We're humans. We complicate things. Right? <laughs> we do very quickly and very easily. Yeah, I love not. another point that, that you brought out, and that is, you know, truly in partnerships, we have a legit obligation. We have an obligation to provide value to our partners. And to the point that you made, the only way that you can understand what they see of value is to communicate that, to ask, to dig in. And, you know, so many times uh, we we're looking out for us, you know, a lot of times and just trying to check the boxes that we need for, for our side. But as, as you get deeper into this role, as you know, we learn that we are obligated to provide value. And the only way that we can do that is to dig in and really see what that, that other side needs. And a lot of times through these conversations, we learn that we can actually pro- provide additional value that wasn't even on the table, we didn't understand. And a lot of times do it for little to no cost on our side. Yeah. Makes yeah. that much more, uh, makes it that much more beneficial and valuable. It's, it's the free value that you provide that makes that partnership really successful, right? Like in our case, we're a research institute on leadership development. We have every tool you could possibly imagine for leadership development. We're not a marketing agency. We're not, a, we're not a branding firm. However, we do certainly help our partners activate these relationships through a marketing and branding lens. 
That's not in our wheelhouse. That's not what we do. But because we have the ability to help them, of course, we're going to do it. That's, that's partnership. That's working together. So, Tim, I'd like for you to talk for a couple of minutes about whenever you work with somebody new on your team or you're just mentoring them in this partnering role, what's some advice that you give to them, you know, kind of right out of the gate as they're taking on this partnering role? What's some advice that you give to them to help them get off on a good foot and really have the right mindset for this position? There's no team. There's no organization, there's no partnership that can be successful without having clear direction, alignment, and commitment to the cause. And so every single relationship that a strategic business partner or our channel manager or whoever needs to start with is creating clear direction, making sure everybody's aligned, and making sure everybody's committed to the cause. There's nothing worse than going through the motions of a partnership and getting to the point through the term sheet and the contract and never truly getting buy-in from either side to how this is going to look. And it's, it's an opportunity lost. You know, there's an opportunity cost to them too. So you're spending all this time up front negotiating or explaining your services and then lining them up. But if you're not, if, if they're not committed and if you're not committed at the same time, everybody's sort of wasting their time. So my advice would be is create that direction alignment commitment as soon as, as humanly possible. And then it sets into motion the way that partnership can truly be effective. Otherwise you're just spinning your wheels a lot of times and putting out fires. Yeah. Great, great advice. Tim on the channel sales side and really operationalizing, you know, we activate that partnership or getting it going. What, what are some of the, the pitfalls, the landmines that you've seen with different relationships. What are some of those common reasons that when they do fall apart, are there some common areas that that you've seen are reasons why? Not to sound like a broken record, but it's direction, alignment, commitment. It's, it's it's that it's, that's the breakdown. It's, It's the communication breakdown. It's the understanding. It's the fundamental understanding as to what the heck are we doing together. And if we're not on the same page, that's the breakdown. It's not a misunderstanding of a term in the contract. It's not a, oh, I wasn't sure I could do this with one of your products or your services. It's you're not giving me what I was anticipating and I'm not receiving what I was anticipating. And that's the breakdown of of the relationship. As with anything, any relationship is based off of that. So I I would say that the, the, the breakdown happens based on that commitment in And it's an ongoing process, right? It's not, you don't just negotiate the deal on the front end and then it's locked in ironclad. Life happens, life changes. Uh, Companies can take different directions. They have new opportunities. They have new leadership that flows in and out. That's a conversation that has to continually happen, right? It's constant evolution. You're constantly evolving the partnership because life changes, right? The, the partners that, that we work with are working with certain clients. Those clients change, right? Their needs change. And so our partners have to adjust, which means we have to adjust. And that happens every six months, a year, 18 months. And certainly if, we, if we're really thinking long-term, in five years from now, in 10 years from now, if we still want our partners to be working with us and trusting us, we can't possibly be doing it with the same mindset as today. We have to, we have to evolve. 
we have to be agile. And so without a doubt, the evolution is, is incredibly important. Tim, I'd like to shift gears a little bit and ask you about a mentor that you had or somebody that influenced you in your development throughout your career. Is there any certain person or uh, maybe a, a particular role that somebody had played to help you advance in your career? At the, at the risk of leaving out people that have mentored me, I will, I will probably not name names. However, I can think of an example at every stage of my life, probably from 18 years old and on, that I was able to learn something from that person, either through directly teaching me or me just observing, that has allowed me to have some of the success that I've had today. And I think that's, it's the mindset more of mentoring is that being in experiences and knowing that how to extract what happened in that experience and apply it to a future scenario is what mentoring really is. And so I've had, I've had coaches, I've had family, my parents, my, my brothers, uh, teachers, coworkers, colleagues, people that I don't work with be fantastic mentors but no one of them has been able to teach me everything for obvious reasons, but the cumulative, you know, aggregate learning that I've had from them is, is who you are. It's, it's who, who makes you up. So I've had, I've had plenty of fantastic people that have given me some guidance, whether they knew it or not, they were, they were fantastic advisors and mentors. Yeah. Awesome, man. Awesome. All right. One last question before we let you go. Okay. I want you to speak to your 21, 22 year old self. As Tim was uh, coming out of college and finished playing baseball, got that degree, that econ degree, is ready to go attack the world. What kind of advice, if you could turn back the clock, would you give Tim? Don't stop learning. Continue to absorb as much as you possibly can. Listen more than you talk. Ask great questions. Um, and continue on that path of just being a lifelong learner because it's a, it's a true mindset. And if you can apply it, you can do some really interesting things that when you look back after five, 10, 15, 30 years, you can say, you know what, I did some pretty cool stuff. I, I was involved with some really neat projects. I learned a ton from really smart people. Um, and I've been able to make an impact in a couple different places along the way. So that would be my advice. Great words of wisdom. We'll leave it at that. Thanks, Tim. Really appreciate your time and uh, definitely looking forward to watching you and your work and your team there at uh, the Center for Creative Leadership. You guys are doing some awesome stuff. Keep up the great work. Likewise, Mark. Keep up the good work with Partnernomics. Good stuff. Partnernomics podcast is brought to you by Partnernomics. Learn how to leverage the power of partnership. To listen to more episodes of Partnernomics podcast, visit Partnernomics.com.